0: The following message is by Pastor Andrew Beto, pastor of First Baptist Church of Orchard, Texas. More information on First Baptist Church Orchard can be found at fbcorchard.com. It's been a rough week. I'm just going to tell you it's been a rough, rough week. We've been in and out of the hospital. Uh, we, have, uh, we have had people at this church who have lost family members. We got people that are injured. Uh, we've, got, uh, we've got loved ones that are having hard times in the schools that they're going to. It's been a rough week. It has been a week that has been beset by tragedy, by turmoil, by struggle, right? If you're, if you're uh, watching the elections, you're seeing uh, bad stuff happen almost every day to the point where you almost don't even want to turn the TV on anymore because you don't know what the next bad thing is going to be. Well, we're, we're in a place where it's kind of like heads you lose, tails you also lose, right? It doesn't matter who gets elected, it looks like it's going to be bad and and, 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 and like uh, there's no hope left. And it's at times like this that the book of First Peter comes in to be able to inform us and instruct us on how we can handle life In the world that we live in. See, last week we talked about the fact that every morning you wake up as a Christian, you're going to be faced by opposition, right? You are going to be faced by persecution, by tragedy, by opposition, right? And and this isn't strange. This isn't something new. This isn't something that is out of the ordinary. This is just an extension of the contest that has been in place since the beginning of time. Right? All of the things that you face on a daily basis are an outflow from the, the contest that we have with an ancient evil. Right? There, there is an ancient evil that stalks this world that seeks to kill, to lie, and destroy. Right? And you're not going to face that kind of ancient evil with pop psychology right oprah's not going to prep you to be able to face ancient evil you do not face ancient evil with whatever the flavor of the week is you face ancient evil with timeless truth and in the book of first peter we find timeless truth truth that is spoken to us by god through the apostle peter sometimes this timeless truth is hard to understand so, sometimes We don't want to understand it. Sometimes we don't agree with it. But as Christians, our job, right, our mission is to glorify God by placing ourselves in submission to Christ, to accept the identity that he's given us. And so with that in mind, I want us to turn to the book of 1 Peter, and I want to read through the first 12 verses of 1 Peter, and then we're going to break them down. So 1 Peter... Chapter 1, verse 1 begins, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Brothers and sisters, we gather together here as brothers and sisters in Christ who have been saved by the sovereign power of a holy and powerful God. Right? Paul, Peter, talks to the people in Asia Minor and describes to them that they are sojourners, saved by a sovereign God, and that nothing can change that. Right, we talked last week about the fact that Christians are foreigners. Right? You are strangers in a strange land. It feels like you are outcasts, that you are different, that nobody understands you, because you are foreigners. You are outcasts. And people don't understand you. Right? You ever felt like when you go into a room like, man, it, it, am, am I the weird guy here? And then you kind of wonder, like, am I taking crazy pills? This is, I don't understand. Yes, you are. You're the weird guy. You are the weird guy at work. Right, if you love Jesus, you're the weird guy at work. People are going to look at you funny, and that's okay. Right? Because you are different. You have been called out. Right? He says that you are sojourners in your communities, that you're foreigners, that you don't belong. But you don't belong. You're foreigners because you have been selected, you have been chosen by God. You are new creations, something different has happened. Right, you're no longer the person that you used to be. That that old part of you, that old nature that you had, that old thing that made you cool, right? That made your friends like you, right? The part of you that allowed you to go be able to road dog it up with your buddies and have a good time, that's dead. That has died. Right? Paul said that that I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And this life I live in the body, I live By the power of Jesus Christ. He said if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Right? You are no longer like the people around you. You have died and have been reborn as something different. As Paul said, we are different. We're new. The old is gone and the new has come. But see, this process of being changed, being reborn, Jesus will call being born again. He'll say that nobody can enter the kingdom of heaven unless you have been born again, right? We celebrated that today with Devin, right? We celebrated the fact that he was dead dead in his sins and he he died to who he used to be and that we brought him out of the water and we, we made him new and different. But this is an amazing reality. But Peter goes on Right, he starts there and he begins to describe what that process is like. He goes on to inform his audience that they have been born again through the power of God based on his plan and his purpose. Right? I mean, he uses the word you are the elect exiles who have been chosen by God through his foreknowledge. The idea here is that God knew you from before the beginning of time. That he knew you before you were born. He knew you before the stars were burning. He knew you from eternity past. Right, And he has chosen you and called you out. You are God's elect. Election bears with it the concept of choice. God has chosen them to be adopted as sons and daughters. God chooses his children and then calls them to Himself. We see that in the Gospel of John, right? In the, in the Gospel of John, Jesus declares this. He says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise him up on the last day. Right? In John 15, 16, he kind of explains it a little bit more. He says, you did not choose me. But I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in my Father's name, He may give to you. Right? So what is Peter trying to tell these people? He's not trying to make some kind of esoteric theological point. He's not trying to draw out these really complicated expressions of faith in God. He's trying to tell them that their presence as a holy people called out from the people among them is not a fluke. It's not something that just happened. It's not random chance. This is part of the plan of God from before the beginning of time. Paul will say it later to the Ephesians. He says, God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will to the praise of His glorious grace, and with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. See, their salvation has been part of God's plan since the very beginning. We know from Scripture that God knows us before we're born, that He sees us as we are formed in our mother's womb, that He knows our days, and that He numbers them. See, brothers and sisters, we are saved by a sovereign God. And I want you to understand what I mean when I say that. We do not have a weak God who doesn't know what's going to happen. We don't serve a senile, forgetful, not-in-control-of-things God. That is not the picture of God that we see portrayed in Scripture. We see God as fully in control of all things. And that his will cannot be thwarted. The psalmist declares Our God is in the heavens, and he does all that he pleases. God created the world and everything in it, and he is all powerful, and his will cannot be opposed. Right, we get this idea sometimes that we live in a world where you have God and you have the devil and they're locked in this war and we have these movies where some people are called to be like demon slayers and they like come down and it's Keanu Reeves, right? And and he thinks it's sort of the Matrix, but it's not because he's really fighting demons and he can see them and it's this war, right? That's not what we see in scripture. There is never a scenario where God is not in complete and total control of everything that happens. Here's what God says to Isaiah. He says, I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purposes. That is the God that we see in the Old Testament. That is the God that we see in the New Testament. That is God. That's what it means to be God. To be less than that is to not be God at all. Abraham Kuyper says it this way. He says, There is not a square inch of the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign, does not cry, Mine. Brothers and sisters, this is the God that we serve. And this is the God that has saved us. This is the world that we live in. That God who is in control of all things. This is why a person can't lose their salvation. You know, like we are Baptists, right? And we believe in the perseverance, right, of the saints. We believe that a person, once, a per, once saved, always saved, is a, is a way that you probably heard it said by, by other Baptist preachers who, who have that, that, that cool way of putting it. Once saved, always saved. Eternal security. Why do we believe that? What possible reason would we have to believe that a person is saved once and remains saved? This is why a person can't lose their salvation, because we are saved by a sovereign God based on His plan and His choice, and His will cannot be thwarted. And so Peter describes the living hope that those who have been called by God are born again into. Right there, the sons and the daughters of God, and their inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Our salvation is being guarded by the power of God through our faith. Right? We are saved by faith through grace, but this faith is the product of a supernatural change that happens within us. Right? You don't wake up one morning and go, Oh, hey, I guess God makes sense. That's weird. I never thought of that before. I guess I'll stop robbing liquor stores, right? That's not how that goes down. I mean, maybe it went down in your life. I don't know. We can talk about it, right? But Back when when Nick was earning his testimony back there. That's okay. What happens is something changes within us. There's, There's like a light switch that gets flipped. And all of a sudden, things that didn't make sense begin to make sense over and over again when you talk to people this same thing comes about as like, man i heard this my whole life and then one day it just made sense well you didn't just get smarter right it wasn't like it wasn't like oh you read enough books and then all of a sudden no god opened the eyes of your heart right something that was dead became alive. It's like in The Grinch That Stole Christmas, right? You remember The Grinch That Stole Christmas? I'm not talking about the Jim Carrey one, because that was creepy. I'm talking about the the less, but still kind of creepy cartoon one that all of us saw when we were kids growing up, back when cartoons were real, right? You didn't have SpongeBob SquarePants and any of that stupid stuff. It's stupid. That's right. SpongeBob SquarePants is stupid and demonic, probably. Okay? I'm talking about real cartoons. I'm talking about how the Grinch... Stole Christmas, where he talks about, and, he, and he's got the little, his, his heart, his five sizes too small, and then all of a sudden it starts to beat, right? And it starts to beat. And it, and it, and it, and it starts to beat, and he, like, everything changes, and he becomes different. That's what we're talking about. Now, that's not what happens, right? We're not talking about the Grinch. We're talking about inside the soul of a Christian. Something supernatural happens that allows you to be able to see and believe. Right? The things that didn't make sense now begin to make sense. Brothers and sisters, this is why you can share your faith with people and they can look at you like you've got a horn growing out of the middle of your forehead and you, and you pour your soul out to them and you want them to believe. And they don't believe. They're like, ah, that's cr- you're crazy. Like you are straight up nuts. That's why I don't want to sit with you at lunch anymore. Okay, I'm telling you, young people, you start telling people about Jesus at school, nobody's going to sit with you at lunch. Okay? People are going to be like, yeah, you're crazy and I don't want to be with you. That's why when you can, you can talk to somebody on the street and share your faith with them, and it's like the door opens. It's like they've been prepared and their heart melts and something supernatural happens and they just believe because the faith that transforms us, the faith that saves us, the faith by which we are saved through grace comes as a supernatural gift of a holy and sovereign God as part of his plan from before the beginning of time. We have been saved by a sovereign God and his will cannot be thwarted. Our God is in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. Our God is not powerless. Our God is not a senile old grandfather living in a heavenly nursing home waiting for you to come and so he can give you a butterscotch candy. That is not God. Our God is the dread lord of the universe, arrayed in power and majesty, working out a plan that is older than the stars. That's the God that we serve, and that is brothers and sisters, the only God worth worshiping. Anything less than that is not God. It is an image that you have created in yourself. It is an idol that you have manufactured. And that kind of idol cannot save. That kind of idol will not hold you steady in the midst of persecution. See, we have a hard time with the doctrine of election. And many theologians and pastors kind of gloss over it. We don't want to talk about it. Whenever you're a pastor, you come on a verse like this, you dread it. It's like, I don't want to preach this one. Maybe if I skip it, they won't notice it. Maybe like, oh, yeah, we talked about that last week. You weren't there, right? But brothers and sisters, Paul, Peter, right out of the gate, brings this out. Right? He starts a book that is about persecution and turmoil by pointing to the sovereign power of God. Why do you think he does that? Let me tell you why. Because only the sovereign power of God will maintain you when everything around you is burning down, when nothing makes sense, when everything is falling apart. And so our God is sovereign and our trials and our struggles are firmly under His control and within His will. I want you to hear that. Sometimes we get the idea that whenever things go south, it's because God is ignoring us, or maybe God's turned his back. Maybe God's gone to the bathroom and doesn't know what's happening. Maybe he's watching Dancing with the Stars. We don't know, but he's not there. But that's not who God is. Every struggle, every trial, every persecution is firmly within the plan of God. Firmly according to his purposes. Right. So what does 1 Peter say? Beginning in 6, he says, In this you rejoice, though, now for a little while. If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested God-genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, Peter wants his readers to know that we are saved by a sovereign God and that the overwhelming joy of this reality should overcome our trials. I want you to think about this. Christians should respond to the sovereign grace of God with joy. Christians should be filled with joy because of the sure and certain hope of their salvation, right? We have been chosen by God, we have been saved by God, and we will be with God for eternity. We will be in the presence of God when the sun stops burning. That's fantastic. That's amazing. No matter how bad things get in this life, there is a reality that this life will go on, that that we won't stop being, that we won't stop existing, that we will be in the presence of God, and that should bring us joy. I want you to think about this. Peter is writing this letter from a prison cell while he watches everybody that he loves being killed and tortured, including his wife. Right? We read in church history that Peter's wife was crucified in front of him. I want you to think about what that's like. having your wife crucified in front of you and praising God and giving her exhortation while that's happening. I will tell you straight up, if somebody, I, I love Jesus and I'm being reshaped in his image, but I ain't there yet, if somebody touches my wife, I'm going to straight kill him. Like I, that's just me. That's, the, that's the, the bad part of me. Don't touch my wife. I will mess you up. I will straight bleed you out, okay? That's just who I am. But Peter, Peter, this man chosen by God, this apostle of God, is living in a world where his his friends and his family are being killed. They're being tortured. And he can say, rejoice. Rejoice. What is that? What, what, What kind of man does that? What kind of joy is that? Well, I will tell you, it's not natural. Right? That, that is not a natural joy. That's not like, I'm riding roller coasters and I'm happy because of it. Right? It's not, I'm happy because somebody gave me a flower or I got a new car. That's not that kind of happiness. The kind of happiness, the kind of joy that Peter has is tied to something that is supernatural, that is outside of this world, that is imperishable. Right? Something that cannot be touched by any mortal man. Something that cannot be broken by any force of man. Right, That is the kind of joy that, that Peter has. See, if, if we're right, then nothing in this world matters. Right? Nothing that happens to us here matters. And if we're wrong, we're in a lot of trouble. That's what it means to have faith in Christ, to place all your eggs in one basket and then drop that basket off a cliff, believing that God is going to save it. Right? Here's how Paul says it. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If, Christ, if in Christ we have no hope in this life, we are all people to be pitied. I want you to hear me. If Jesus Christ is not real, if the resurrection is not real, then you are all fools. And you are wasting your time. There is no morality in this book. There is no uh, good advice for good living that's going to amount to anything if Jesus Christ isn't real. If Peter and Paul are wrong and there's no resurrection, no salvation, no King Jesus coming back, then we are all in a huge amount of trouble. But if Christ is real and the resurrection did occur, then whatever we are facing here is just the beginning of a really long story. right? It's like the first page. Of a book that will last until the end of time. It's a, David Platt said once that, that as Christians we're standing on the front porch of an of a incredibly large house and we can't see past the door and all we can see is the is the is the broke down rocker right in the and the torn screen but we don't know what's on the inside because this life that we live in is just the beginning. It's just prologue. The struggles, the trials, the persecutions of today are nothing in comparison to the trillions of years we will spend in the presence of God. Persecution and opposition are part of God's plan, and His plans are good. And just because we can't see them doesn't mean that they're not good. Romans eight twenty-eight, a famous verse. Paul says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. That's hard to see sometimes, isn't it? It's hard to see that all things work together for the good of of those who are called according to God's purpose. When your children get sick, when your loved ones die, when your kids don't do what they're supposed to do, Right? When you feel that, that powerlessness as the world turns against you and no matter what you do, it doesn't turn out right. It doesn't feel like everything is working together for the good of, of those who are called according to his purpose. I wish that I could stand up here and tell you that if you accept Christ, everything is going to turn up aces for you. I would have a lot more people in the church if I could say that. Right? If I could say that if you if you turn your life over to God, if you turn your life over to God, then you're gonna have you're gonna have material prosperity. Brother, you're gonna have a good job, your wife is gonna instantly become beautiful, your kids are gonna become dutiful, everybody's gonna love you, you're gonna be awesome. Man, if I could say that, I'd be driving a Bugatti, he'd be awesome. But it ain't true. You become a Christian, and you know what's gonna happen? Life's still going to run you over. There's still going to be problems. Your kids will still get sick. They may do things that you don't want them to do. They may not be the person that you want them to be. Bad things will happen. And when they do, we have to figure out how we're going to respond to that. Because see, all of the things that happen in our life happen for a reason. Sometimes they happen because we make bad decisions. Guys, sometimes you are reaping the consequences of 40 years of bad decisions. That's just the way it is, right? If you eat milkshakes, right, every day, you're going to get fat and you're probably going to die of a heart attack, right? That's kind of my problem. I like donuts, right? God has not rescued me from the consequences of donuts. I did not become a Christian and automatically get Russell Talley's metabolism. so not fair. I watch what Russell Talley eats, buddy. That guy can eat like onion rings and it's like nothing happens. <laughs> right? If I can trust in a loving, fair God in, in the light of that, then you can too. <laughs> Everything happens for a reason. Sometimes the reason is you're stupid and you make bad decisions. Sometimes the reason, though, is that your God is perfecting your faith. Sometimes bad things happen, and you don't deserve them, and that's still part of the plan of God, right? Because those, ter- those struggles and that turmoil in your life perfects the faith that you have, right? When you come out on the other side of those events, you're a stronger person, right? We have some, we have some fires that are correcting fires, right? Fires that are going to burn away the sin in your life. And some fires are perfecting fires. They're going to perfect, you're going to perfect your faith, make you a stronger Christian, a better tool to be used, right? When you're, when you're forging a sword, God heats it up red hot, right? And he pounds it out with a hammer. Then he heats it up red hot and he pounds it out some more. Over and over and over again. It's not because the blacksmith doesn't like the sword. not because he's mean. It's because he wants to make a strong tool. A tool that can be used with a honed edge, something that is useful. Sometimes the struggles that you go through, guys, are there to make you strong. Brothers and sisters, sometimes the the struggles that you go through are there to point you to God. To point you to the fact that you cannot make this on your own. Some of you out here, brothers and sisters, are not saved. Some of you don't know Jesus. Jesus. And you wonder why your life is falling apart. It's falling apart because God is trying to drag you kicking and screaming into a knowledge and relationship with Him to show you that you are not going to be happy on your own. That you are not going to make your life work on your own. That the only thing that's going to make you the person you need to be is a relationship with Christ. See, our struggles, one way or the other, all bring glory to God. God is glorified in the struggles that we wrestle with. Peter describes the trials we face as something that brings glory to God through the perfection of our faith. There's many people who think that they are saved and are not saved. brother. see, it is not possible for you to lose your salvation, but it is possible for you to think you're saved and not be saved. Our churches are filled with people that think they're saved and aren't saved. That's a sad truth. Not everybody who walks an aisle, not everybody who has an emotional response is a Christian. See, you know that you're a Christian when your faith has been tested and tried in the fire of persecution and trial. That's when you know that you're a Christian. And so sometimes the struggles that we face are there to burn away all the false, wannabe Christianity and leave us bare with the knowledge of who we really are. Sometimes one of the cruelest and most helpful things that Jesus would do in the Gospels is when he would hold up a mirror to somebody's face to show them who they really were. It's what he did to the, to the rich young ruler. You remember that story? When God comes to Jesus and says, I want to follow you. right? I want to have eternal life. And Jesus is like, okay, give up everything you own and sell it. Give it to the poor and follow me. And he shows the man where his real gods are. Scripture declares that those who lift their cares, and their concerns to God will have their hearts and their minds guided in the peace that passes understanding. That is a peace that passes understanding, right? It's like you're peaceful and you shouldn't be peaceful. I love to go to Colorado with my wife, okay? When I am in Colorado with my wife, and I don't have my children there, and we're sitting by the river, watching the sun come up over the mountains, reading our Bibles and drinking overpriced coffee, I am at peace. That is not the peace that passes understanding. It's understandable why I'm peaceful. My kids are not there. That is the same peace that I had at Target last night, at 9 o'clock at night. I'm at peace because my kids weren't there. I love my kids, but you see the... The idea here, the peace that passes understanding is the peace that comes over you when you should not be peaceful. That is the peace that comes from Christ. That is the promise that God has given us. Right? The, the joy of our salvation is happiness that transcends our situation. It is a happiness and a contentment that is tied to circumstances beyond the here and the now. Right? A peace and a happiness and a contentment that transcends what is happening to us right now. This is the peace and the joy that Peter feels as he is in a little hole in the ground watching everybody get tortured and killed around him and yet can still trust that God is there and that Christ died for him. Right, I want you to think about these men that write this. Peter, who has denied Christ and been restored by Christ and has seen the risen Christ and has preached with power, Paul, who on the road to Damascus was struck by lightning made blind and heard God calling to him, neither of these men had a choice whether or not to follow God. Both of these men were called out of their life and sent on mission. They were saved by a sovereign God, and that salvation by a sovereign God stuck with them and allowed them to persevere in the face of beatings and shipwrecks, torture and murder, because they know that the God that saved them was stronger than the power that was in the world. The sovereignty of God is a hard doctrine for us to understand. And it's a harder one for us to accept. In 1 Peter, he talks about how this salvation that we have was prophesied by the prophets. And how it's sealed in the gospel. See, the salvation... This salvation predestined from the beginning of time and proved through the fire of persecution is the subject of the entire Bible. You cannot escape it. You read your Old Testament and you will see election over and over and over again. You're going to see Noah who was chosen by God to preserve mankind, even though, he had a, even though the, the Bible had already said that all men were evil and that all they did was evil all the time. You ever catch that? Right. God knows Noah, calls Noah, even though everybody is evil all the time. That's election. Abraham is chosen as the father of a nation, even though he is the, he is the degenerate son of an idol maker. God calls him to be the father of a nation. God calls Israel to be his holy people, even though he knows that they are a stiff necked, hard hearted people that are going to wander more times than they follow. The sovereignty of God is disturbing and it's offensive, but it's the heart of the New Testament gospel. Over and over again in the Gospels and in the letters, the extravagant grace of God is poured out on undeserving people for no better reason than that God chose to do it, to make His name known. We may not understand it. We won't understand it. But it is the testimony of Scripture. It is ancient truth, and we have to deal with it. Peter is honest about this when he says that even the angels have desired to understand the mysteries of God's plan, right? I want you to think about that. The angels who live in the presence of the shekinah glory of the Lord, right? Who live, have been with Christ, right? Who have seen God. They don't know what's going on. They don't understand it. Don't feel bad if you're confused. Because even the angels are confused, The truth is that there are some things that are not for us to know. And our only response can be the doxology of Paul. Oh, the depth of the riches and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord and who has been his counselor and who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and to Him and through Him are all things to the glory of God. Amen. More than this, we need to allow this understanding to influence the way that we deal with the tragedies of life. Brothers and sisters, you will not understand why bad things happen to good people. We'll ask and we'll ask And will ask, and you will not understand, because there are some things that are hidden in the secret knowledge of God. We don't have to understand God's sovereign will. We just need to accept it. No matter how difficult the trials, we can face them triumphant, because we know that God is sovereign over all. The sovereignty of God over our salvation and circumstances is the clear testimony of Scripture. And it should draw us into an awesome reverence to God. Right? There are things that are going to come out of this. Right? If we believe this about God, if we believe this about ourselves, it's going to affect the way that we relate to the world we live in. Right? The sovereignty of God should give us unreasonable, unimaginable joy. To know that we've been chosen and loved by the Creator of the universe, that we have been rescued from a fate that we fully deserve, that should change us, right? Back back before I was saved, I watched a movie called Fight Club. Right? I wouldn't recommend it to anybody here, but it was, you know, I was earning my testimony. Okay, and if anybody's ever seen Fight Club, there's a scene where Brad Pitt and uh, um, Edward Norton go up to this guy outside of a convenience store, and, uh, and Brad Pitt robs him, right? He tells him he's going to kill him, takes his wallet out, says he's going to kill this guy. And the guy's like, oh, please don't kill me. Please don't kill me. And Brad Pitt takes his wallet, takes his driver's license out, and throws his wallet back to him and says, go home. And Edward Norton goes, why did you do that? That's crazy. And Brad Pitt says, because that guy has never lived, and now he will. Everything that he eats is gonna taste better. Every moment that he has is gonna feel different because he was saved from dying. Said so That man never truly lived and now he will. Right, and that's the concept here, guys. You have been saved, right? You were dead and now you're alive and everything that you do should be affected by that. It should affect the way that you interact with the people around you. Nothing is bad in light of that. Well, you got a, you got a parking ticket? seriously they didn't have the particular thing you wanted for christmas you don't make as much money as you want to make your cable went out none of those things should matter in the light of the fact that you were dead and now are alive you should be like somebody you should have that feeling like when you when you don't have an accident like we all know what it's like to have an accident you know what it's like when you were going to have an accident i know some of you really know what i'm talking about some of you that are not good drivers right where like, like where, you, where you, you come up on the back of that, that car and then you hit the brakes and you swerve and, and nothing bad happens? And that feeling like, I get to go home and I don't have to tell my wife that we almost died and almost wrecked the car. Like you should feel like that every day because you've been saved by a sovereign God. But more than that, the sovereignty of God, the knowledge of the sovereignty of God should humble you. Right, The implication of this awesome and powerful ancient truth should drive you to your knees every day when you realize that you are saved not based on anything that you've done. You do not deserve the salvation that you've had. It does not come from you. You were chosen by God. That's what grace is. Grace is a totally free gift. That means that there's no pretenses of our own righteousness. That means that there should be no self-righteousness. You shouldn't thump your chest and look down on somebody else because, brother, you ain't here because you deserve to be here. There should never be an inclination in our hearts to look down on somebody else as just a broken-down sinner. Because we all are. Most importantly, though, it should make us courageous in the presence of evil and resilient in the face of tragedy because we know that neither heights nor depths nor angels nor demons can separate us from the love of the all-powerful, sovereign God who chose us in himself before the beginning of the world. Nothing can touch that. There is no government that can touch that. There is no Supreme Court that can touch that. No Sharia law can touch that. Your employer can't touch that. Your crazy coworker can't touch it. Your cousin Pookie can't touch it. Nothing can touch the salvation that you have in God. Brothers and sisters, if you have never felt that, if you are wondering, is this for me? Is Christ calling me to Himself? I will tell you, it is, not, it is not a coincidence that you are here. There are no coincidences in this world. You are here for a reason. God is knocking on the door to your heart. Christ is calling out to you to have you come down and let Him in. Right? You are here for a reason. Will you accept Him today? Will you open up your heart to Him? Will you allow Him to change you? and begin this road that you will walk down, you won't be be the same. You won't be the same, I guarantee you that. It will be a painful process. He will burn from your heart all of the idols that you've been worshiping. But brothers and sisters, it is the only way to live this life. Because you will never be truly free until you accept the fact that you have been saved by a sovereign God, and that nothing in all creation can touch that. Y'all bow your heads with me. Dear sweet Jesus, God, we thank you so much for saving us, for stepping into our dirty, tawdry, broken, sinful lives and changing our hearts. God, we thank you so much for calling us to yourself from before the beginning of time, for writing our names down in your great book of life. God, we are humbled by your power your sovereignty god we we do nothing but hit our knees and say come lord jesus may your will be done lord we ask that the truths that we have heard here That this reality would sink into us and would change the way that we interact with the people around us, Lord. That you would use this to burn away all our self-righteousness. That you would use this to give us courage to go out and share your word into a dark world, God. That we would be your lights. That we would reflect your glory. And that we would see your amazing will worked in this world. And God, we pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Please stand and turn your page number.